Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Sinead O'Carroll, and this week, let's sum up the year in US politics. American politics is at all times predictable yet unpredictable, ever-changing, but somehow nothing ever changes. Immediately after the 2020 election, not many would have predicted a Biden-Trump rerun for 2024, but that's where we might end up. How? And what has been going on there in the last 12 months under the perennial headlines of abortion, gun control and Democrats being pretty average at elections? I'm delighted to welcome back friend of the podcast Larry Donnelly to talk us through an, as ever, busy 12 months in US politics. Let's start with the man in the top job, Larry. How has Biden's year been? I think, you know, by any objective measure, I think you'd have to say that Joe Biden uh, had a reasonably good year. Um, You know, Joe Biden certainly has his detractors and his critics. Uh, A lot of people say that um, he's too old for the job, that he doesn't have the same energy uh, that he once did. That having been said, uh, if you look at the crucial metrics in politics, uh, you'd have to say that Joe Biden had a good year. Uh, legislatively, he got some things through a very divided partisan Congress uh, that, that I think will play well with uh, with Democratic Party activists and in, in the base. Uh, things like infrastructure, uh, legislation on climate change. He also had a Supreme Court justice, uh, Ketanji Brown-Jackson, uh, confirmed again in a divided Congress. And then uh, at the end of the day, you have to go to the midterms and just about everybody, uh, myself included, thought the Democrats were going to have a pretty bad day uh, in November. Yet the reality is they had a surprisingly good day. Uh, and indeed, they did lose the House, but um, they picked up a seat in the Senate. And that's very unusual in a midterm. Yeah, let's get into the midterms now then. Tell us, just explain initially what they are, why they're important and what happened this time around. Yeah, midterm elections are are always the incumbent president's sort of first test of strength. Um, They happen, you know, every every two years, uh, every member of the United States House of Representatives is up for re-election, one third of the membership of the United States Senate, um, and then state and local races around the country uh, take place. Uh, One of the things I always tell in Irish audiences is that uh, while the presidential election always captures huge attention and everything else every four years, in many respects, um, the midterms are more important because uh, a president is only as good as he or she can get uh, legislation through the Congress. So uh, midterms are vitally important. And what's happened almost without fail in American political history is that uh, an incumbent president gets elected, but then Two years later, because the American people like to, uh, I suppose they're a bit accused of liking divided government, they typically give uh, that president's party uh, a kick uh, in the next election. So in light of that, Sinead, as well as uh, the fact that uh, inflation is rampant in the United States, Republicans had a good narrative going on things like the rise in violent crime, uh, the withdrawal from Afghanistan was arguably disastrous, Uh, people had their doubts about Joe Biden. Against that backdrop, and and given the the history, uh, just about everyone thought this was going to be a horrible show uh, for the Democrats. Yet, as I said, uh, he had a reasonably good outing. And when measured against that metric, uh, you have to say Joe Biden has done well uh, as the de facto leader uh, of the Democratic Party. 
So at the moment and going into 2023, he'll hold the Senate, but he still doesn't have the House. No. And, uh, you know, look, the, the reality is that that means it's going to be very, very difficult for him to get stuff through. Uh, the reality is Democrats did have did have control uh, of both the House and the Senate. Uh, albeit the Senate by a very narrow margin, that did allow for him to get certain things through. Uh, now, with Republicans having control of the House, uh, it's going to be very, very difficult for Democrats to get any pieces uh, of legislation through. But on the other hand, uh, and again, you know, one of the things about the composition of the United States Congress is that the Senate uh, is the upper house. The Senate confirms, for instance, uh, judicial nominations. And now that uh, the United Democrats have more advantages. They have an additional seat uh, in the United States Senate. Uh, it probably will make it easier for uh, Joe Biden to get judicial nominees uh, through the Congress. And again, this is one of the things that happened in Donald Trump's administration was that he got an awful lot of judges appointed, not just to the United States Supreme Court, but to all of the federal courts in the United States. He arguably, uh, in a very short space of time, remade the American federal judiciary in the image of conservatives, in particular religious conservatives. Uh, Democrats obviously want to rebalance or recalibrate the composition of the judiciary. They're having the Senate uh, gives a little bit more chance to do so uh, over the next two years. Will Biden use the same playbook as Trump, like get in the judges at a lower level and kind of work his way up from there and not just try and pack the Supreme Court? I think that that's more likely to happen. I mean, I know that there is a, a lot of, um, I suppose, anger uh, on the, the American political left uh, that the Democrats don't fight back hard enough uh, and that they need to pack the Supreme Court or expand the Supreme Court. Uh, I don't think that that's going to happen. I mean, Joe Biden, let, let's not forget, Joe Biden has been in Washington, D.C. for decades and decades. He's almost a quintessential institutionalist. Uh, I don't see that happening. But what I do see happening uh, is him, uh, I suppose, getting more Democrat leading uh, people onto the lower federal courts uh, around the United States. Um, that all having been said, Sinead, and I think this is an important point to make for an Irish audience, uh, the reality is um, the founding fathers of the United States never would have wanted us to get to the point where we are, where judicial nominees are seen through a partisan lens. Uh, it really should be the best woman and the best man uh, for the job. Uh, ideology should be a distant second. But uh, in a hyper-partisan America, uh, this is the reality that we live in now. Yeah, and that's the reality of legislating there as well. So you mentioned that he didn't get everything through over the last couple of years that he has wanted. What are the big ticket items that he would have wanted to get further in? Well, I, I think that the number one, and this is you know to, the, to, to President Biden's credit, in my view, uh, the one thing that he has long wanted, and this goes back to Sandy Hook, but I think even before then, uh, was I think he wanted to reinstitute uh, a ban on assault weapons, uh, you know, the lethal weapons of war uh, that are sadly very readily available in the United States. Uh, I think Joe Biden dearly wanted a win uh, on the gun issue. Uh, he didn't get it. I know even now in these last days, uh, of this Congress before the new uh, members are sworn in in January. I know that even now he's making some sort of frantic last-ditch attempt uh, to do so. It's not going to happen. Uh, but I think that, that he probably will look at that and say, that's my biggest disappointment. He did get some relatively 
you know, small yet welcome gun control measures in the wake of Uvalde and Buffalo and all the other horrific mass shootings. He did get a small package uh, of measures through, but in terms of a, an assault weapons ban that would have had teeth, uh, I think he'll probably look back and say, that's the one I wish I, I, I could have gotten through. What's the public's attitude in the US now? Because I think after those mass shootings that you mentioned, we kept seeing stats that actually most of the public want gun control or better gun control that currently is there. Is that still the same now? It it is, Sinead. You know, this is a really interesting point about uh, American politics. And it's a narrative that's out there uh, that I'm constantly trying to dispel in my column and other places. And this is the narrative of the American people who are hopelessly partisan and hope, hopelessly uh, divided. Now, the reality is American politics, you, 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 one could be forgiven for making that assumption because uh, the people may have to make a binary choice. The choice on the ballot is binary. But if you look, for instance, at gun control, if you look at a whole host uh, of other contentious issues in the United States, you will see that the vast majority of Americans are still somewhere in between. They are somewhere in the middle. And on the gun issue, uh, poll after poll after poll will show that the vast majority of Americans want reasonable restrictions on gun ownership, whether that's background checks, provisions to prevent people with violent criminal records to get their hands on guns, uh, you know, laws against people who are convict, convicted of domestic violence, getting their hands on guns, and indeed uh, a ban on high-powered weapons like assault weapons. The majority of Americans want these things, but there's a massive disconnect between uh, what happens on Capitol Hill and indeed what happens in state capitals throughout the country, what happens in the corridors of power versus how most ordinary Americans uh, conceive of a whole range of different issues. And sadly, something we've talked about before, sadly, that really is done down to the role uh, of the almighty dollar uh, in American politics. And the reality is uh, that there's not much money in moderation. There's not much money in nuance. Uh, the money and the, 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 the dollars that feed politicians uh, are on the poles uh, of different issues, uh, whether it's gun control, abortion, whatever it might be. Uh, and that's why we see in America where the policy, you know, what happens in, in legislation is, you know, to the polls, but in the, you know, you have in American people who are somewhere in between. Yeah, which is quite different, I think, to how we do politics. Once the public perception has shifted, the politicians usually shift. But in America, that's not the same for gun control. So we probably aren't anywhere closer because of the public attitude. Is that kind of a correct summation? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm terribly afraid to say this, you know, and it's because uh, if we look just even at what's happened over the past year, I mean, you know, I, I mentioned Uvalde, uh, you know, I mentioned Buffalo, Chesapeake. Colorado Springs, all of these shootings over and over and over again, uh, and nothing happens. And it, it's quite frankly, it's disgusting. Uh, and the, the the inertia, the lack of action uh, really is down to, um, you know, the converse reality being true in the United States. That is, uh, politicians in some ways, very strangely, as politicians in some ways actually benefit from being further removed from the view of from the viewpoints uh, of their the constituents uh, because, again, uh, of the power of money and of certain lobby groups in the United States. A common thread running through many of the things we're talking about today is money. And one of the big global problems this year has been rising inflation rates. The US were not immune to that. What was Joe Biden's reaction and did it have an impact? 
Well, I mean, this is, you know, Biden, this is something that, you know, I think has been very tricky for Biden. Uh, an awful lot of Americans do place a good bit of blame on the Biden administration uh, for the problems with inflation. Now, I think some of that is down to people having short memories. I mean, the reality is we had a global pandemic. Uh, an awful lot of American people were hurting and hurting very badly. Uh, as a result, Biden spent a ton of money, pumped a load of money into the economy. Uh, there's no question that that has had uh, inflationary effects. There's no question that the cost uh, of living, the cost of consumer goods and services, uh, just as we know here in Ireland, but uh, maybe even to a greater extent in the United States, uh, these things have gone through the roof uh, and have led to a certain amount uh, of disquiet among the American people. Uh, now, again, uh, one of the reasons why I was so surprised at the midterm election result was uh, I thought an awful lot of that anger would manifest itself in a vote against uh, the president and his party. But uh, certainly, I mean, I think you'd see uh, you know, very split opinions in the United States about how Biden uh, has handled the economy. Uh, but again, I would repeat that, you know, going back to COVID and the very difficult, unprecedented time we were living in, uh, I frankly don't see what other kind of decisions Biden could have made other than to pump money uh, into it. But of course, that means that uh, people are facing into serious inflation in the United States. Yeah, and one of the things that kind of compounded what was already becoming a, a inflation problem was the Ukraine uh, invasion by Russia. What is the feeling amongst U.S. citizens about Biden's handling of the war? I have to say, Sinead, I mean, the you know, Ukraine, I, I suppose, is still uh, to the fore in media reporting and everything in this part of the world. But the Ukraine war has really slipped uh, a great way down the news agenda uh, in the United States. Uh, part of that is geography. Obviously, the United States is very, very far removed uh, from what's happening, you know, thousands and thousands of miles away uh, in Eastern Europe. Uh, and also, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, you know, again, to, to a theme that I've stressed many times in the past is um, the isolationist impulse in the United States. Uh, Americans are really focused in uh, on what happens at home, and they're, they're quite indifferent uh, to what happens elsewhere. The, the, the kind of fundamental guiding principle is we don't want our troops over there. We want to stay away from uh, conflict zones. We feel bad. But, uh, you know, if we look at our recent history, whenever we've involved or intervened, it's only actually made things worse. The other factor there is, at least in terms of fuel, uh, you know, and then you know, obviously we've had massive rises in petrol prices and home heating oil and everything else. Um, the United States is a little bit more insulated uh, than Europe. Uh, because of its domestic production, uh, some of those things. And, and indeed, uh, Biden has really pushed hard on that because uh, I think in the run up to the midterm elections, he knew uh, that, you know, look, gas and groceries, the prices of those are things that Americans vote on. Uh, and, you know, Biden, you know, did everything he possibly could uh, to get gas prices down at the pumps, which I think he did, had some success doing. Uh, and that probably at the end of the day helped save uh, the bacon of, of a lot of Democrats around the country. Yeah, are those successes seen as a Biden or a Democrat success? Because as I said in my intro, they're not a party usually associated with good electoral outcomes that they managed um, and predicted themselves. 
there was lots of good stuff there uh, ahead of the midterms. And again, Sinead, this is why the, the, the fact that they did reasonably well in the midterms is just astonishing to me. But they allowed uh, the Republicans to take control of the narrative uh, and almost declined or ran away from what I thought was some reasonably good successes uh, in very difficult times. Uh, they didn't uh, talk about the successes Biden had. They didn't talk about infrastructure. They didn't talk about uh, the prices at the pumps going down. They didn't take credit uh, for a lot of the things that they did well. Um, that having been said, they, the election still went reasonably well for them. But yeah, I think your, your point is well made. Uh, Republicans do had dominated the narrative. Republicans, uh, I suppose in some ways, they, you know, especially people on the left of the Democratic Party would say uh, that Republicans are far more ruthless uh, and the Democrats need to be more ruthless uh, in how they, they approach the hardball that is uh, American politics. One of the things that came up in my timeline a lot ahead of um, the midterms from friends who are in America, particularly women of my age, was Roe versus Wade. So, you know, get out and vote and vote Democrats because the Republicans are removing, um, you know, our bodily autonomy. Can you just give us a quick reminder of what happened with Roe v. Wade this year? Yeah, well, I mean, there was a, a case, uh, you know, that was brought in, in the United States and worked its way up through the federal court system. Uh, and the United States Supreme Court took the case. They don't have to take it, but they took the case. Uh, and they didn't need to, in deciding the case, which was on a, a ban, a 15-week abortion ban uh, in the state of Mississippi, uh, in deciding the case, they didn't have to, uh, you know, make a thumbs up or thumbs down decision on Roe versus Wade. But they opted to. They opted to go the extra mile. They opted not just to decide, I suppose, what was strictly in front of them in that case, but they they opted to as well uh, strike down the Roe versus Wade precedent. Um, now, uh, you know, if you look at activists on the issue, uh, you know, there was dismay, there was anger, uh, but I don't think that there was a great deal of surprise, at least not among those who've been following uh, developments and who understood who the players are uh, in the United States Supreme Court. Um, but it certainly did work to Democrats' political advantage uh, in the midterms, in the run-up to the midterms, and indeed in other votes that happened in the United States. Uh, and what it did, I think, above all else, was it, it motivated a cohort of the citizenry who are not politically active or engaged. And I think primarily that cohort consisted of uh, women, in particular young women and young people, uh, more generally, uh, who got out and voted uh, specifically because of, as you say, what they perceived to be the loss of bodily autonomy, the loss of women's rights. Uh, and that certainly played uh, to Democrats' uh, advantage. Now, you know, the, the, you know there, there are different ways you can look at it. I mean, it certainly was uh, a boon to Democrats to some extent. But on the other hand, uh, a lot of people on the other side of the issue have said that, look, uh, if you look around the country, and again, this, this issue is going to be at state level now. It's not going to be at the federal level. If you look at state level, actually an awful lot of Republican governors who, who enacted very, very strict abortion bans in the, you know, in the wake of Roe versus Wade being overturned, that they were actually returned to office in places like Georgia uh, and elsewhere. So the picture, I think, is a little bit murky, but certainly abortion has the capacity uh, to motivate. And certainly it's something I think Democrats are going to campaign on uh, and probably have uh, you know, experienced some successes on uh, in the years to come. Yeah, can you just explain to our listeners what you mean by it'll be at a state level um, rather than a federal level? Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, again, one of, one of the things I think 
casual observers of American politics or American uh, law, the legal system might assume is that, oh, okay, if Roe versus Wade is overturned, that means that there is no uh, legal abortion in the United States. That's not the case. What effectively the court and what the line of argument that the a lot of the judges and conservative judges in the United States would make is that uh, we're not actually making any decision uh, about abortion, whether it's good or bad. What we're saying is that abortion does not belong in the Constitution, uh, and abortion is an issue that is best to, best off decided by uh, state legislatures at local level who are more in touch with the people and the culture. Uh, of the individual states around the country. So what you've seen since Roe versus Wade is on the one hand, uh, in blue America, for lack of a better way of putting it, uh, a rush to legislate and to ensure that women have access to abortion uh, in relatively liberal abortion regimes. On the flip side, uh, in red America, for lack of a better way of putting it, uh, you've seen uh, you know an awful lot of initiatives to restrict uh, access uh, to abortion, and they can do so now because uh, there's no constitutional protection uh, given to the practice. So um, that's why it is going to be down to uh, an individual state levels, and you're going to see a patchwork quilt uh, of abortion legislation that may have uh, a lot of very uh, strange and sometimes difficult consequences for, uh, for pregnant women, I think, in the United States. Yeah, and then how will this feed into the next presidential election then? Will it be about turnout? Will it be about who uses the issue more? Yeah, it's really interesting. I think the, the Republicans were definitely caught on the back foot by all of this. Uh, I think so many conserv- for so many in the conservative movement, in particular um, the cultural conservative movement, um, this was a day that they had long worked and prayed and hoped and did everything they could for. And then when that day, you know, that moment of euphoria was very quickly eclipsed by some serious setbacks uh, at the ballot box. And, I, you know, again, I think that they recognize that Democrats uh, can use this issue because uh, the majority, a clear majority of the American people uh, do believe uh, that abortion with restrictions uh, should be legal. Now, how they calibrate their opposition to abortion, that's going to be uh, the challenge. And, and again, it comes back to something I said, uh, you know, a few minutes ago, which is that, yes, most Americans do want uh, abortion to remain legal, but they want some restrictions, okay? And whereas Republicans would say we want abortion more or less to be totally unavailable, it is ca- capturing and pitching to uh, that middle ground uh, that I think is going to be very, very interesting to watch unfold. And what you'll see is in the primaries, both parties will move to the right and move to the left because of where their, their bases are. But then when they have to win that great sway of the people in the middle, that to me is going to be very, very interesting how both parties uh, calibrate their messages in a, a post Roe versus Wade environment. And then talking about who will actually be running in those presidential elections, Larry, Will it be Biden again? Will he run again? You know, it's it's the question on everybody's lips. Um, I have to be frank with you. I I, I, I think that he would have a very difficult time uh, running a 24 seven, uh, 365 day a year campaign uh, around the United States uh, without uh, the I suppose the insulation um, that the COVID pandemic provided him last time around. Um, you know, obviously it was a public health catastrophe, but from Joe Biden's point of view, the restrictions on travel and everything else benefited him because he didn't have to, uh, again, be running all around the country. Now, 
That having been said, he's made very strong noises and people who are very close to him say he fully intends uh, on running for president again. Uh, I think it's going to be a very, very tall order. He's slated to make a decision uh, in the early months of next year. Uh, and it'll be fascinating to see what he decides. But uh, certainly, I think that behind the scenes, um, you know, and again, with all due respect to Joe Biden, someone who I have a lot of time for as a person, uh, but never mind politics, somebody I have a lot of time for as a person, uh, I think that there's going to be some disquiet uh, if he goes into uh, the next next election, and there will be some concerns behind closed doors about his capacity. If not him, who? Yeah, that's the that's that's the that's the you know the the very interesting question. Um, you know, certainly there are you know, there's no shortage uh, of people out there. Um, you know who would you know certainly would be interested. One person who I I, I commonly comment on is uh, Gretchen Whitmer, the governor uh, of Michigan, uh, who is you know a, a center left Democrat who had a tough uh, race on her hands uh, for re-election just now in Michigan um, and managed to win. Part of her message was predicated on safeguarding abortion rights. I think she excites the base, but she's from the Upper Midwest. She ticks uh, an awful lot of boxes. She's a very uh, interesting, interesting candidate. Um, certainly, Kamala Harris is uh, the vice president. You know, she again, um, you know, she's a, a compelling person in many respects, but not somebody who, politically speaking, at least, not somebody who, who seems to capture hearts and minds uh, to the same extent as people might have thought that she would. Um, and then, you know, there's people like Pete Buttigieg, who's the secretary. Uh, for transportation, who's, you know, you know, ran last time around, very interesting, compelling candidate. And then, um, you know, there are lots of people out there who might be on uh, the, the tip of everybody's lips, but who uh, come come the time uh, could emerge a, as very strong potential candidates. And then on the other side, whoever that person will be facing, it, it sounds like we're rerunning what we were saying in 2015 again. But like, do we take the Donald Trump announcement seriously? Well, I mean, I, I think look, he's he, he's running for he, he's running for president, but uh, I think Donald Trump is in trouble. He's in the the biggest uh, trouble of his political career thus far, uh, and I, I say that because uh, number one, in the, in the context of a general election, I do not believe that Donald Trump could win. Uh, I think that the the crucial cadre of floating voters who decide close run elections in the United States have had enough of Donald Trump, and I do not think that they would vote for him under virtually any scenario, uh, at least that I can foresee. Now, but even more to, to the point for him, uh, I think he's in trouble in the Republican primary. Uh, I think the swirling clouds uh, of legal and other trouble uh, that are out there for him, in particular, uh, in the wake of January 6th and his conduct that day uh, and afterwards. Uh, I think that there are an awful lot of people, a growing segment of the Republican Party, who like Donald Trump, who think he did a great job as president, but now say, uh, you know, Mr. President, thank you for your service, but you know, you're not the messenger who can bring this home. And I think if you look at the polling data, uh, it, they seem to be shifting uh, to Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. And I suppose more tellingly, given some of the things we've, we've talked about already, the big money donors also seem to be flocking to Ron DeSantis. What do you think the argument will be that Trump makes to the Republican Party so that they would pick him and not the other guy? He'll do what he, what he he'll do what he does best. He'll try to tear Ron DeSantis apart. I mean, that will be his very very clear strategy. Will be to try to destroy 
uh, DeSantis and to do everything he possibly can uh, in that regard. And there is a, a core, there is a base out there uh, within the Republican Party who love that kind of thing. They love to see Donald Trump. They like his nasty side as well as anything else. Uh, who will eat that stuff up? Uh, my thinking, however, is that that core uh, is getting smaller. That it's still there, but it's but but it is getting smaller now. What is Trump's best chance, at least from this remove, is if DeSantis gets in, and then if there are other candidates who get in the race, um, Mike Pompeo, Mike Pence, Nikki Haley. There's a few out there who are who are you know who want to be president, uh, if they get into the race and if any of them, or from Donald Trump's point of view, more preferably, you know, several of them get a little bit of traction in the race, then Trump has a lane to himself. Those people who would stick with him if he shot somebody on Fifth Avenue, that's Trump's best chance uh, at winning the Republican nomination uh, at this juncture. But in my view, if this boils down to a DeSantis versus Trump, Mano a mano in relatively short space of time. Uh, I think Ron DeSantis will be the Republican nominee. Tell us a little bit about DeSantis. Yeah, DeSantis is you know he's a, a, an interesting guy. Uh, and, you know, and I, I say that in, in, in lots of levels, but he's an interesting guy. I mean, he's a Harvard-educated lawyer. Uh, he is a he is a conviction conservative. Uh, some, sometimes uh, you get this narrative from people who say that at least DeSantis is normal, uh, you know, and we want to move beyond Trump. Um, the reality is, in some ways, uh, I think people on the left might find DeSantis uh, tough to take because uh, unlike Donald Trump, who I think only believes in Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis is a conviction-committed conservative who believes in this and has very strong right-wing views on a whole host of issues, you know, for instance, one of which was to open up the state of Florida uh, long before any, that anyone thought it was reasonably safe to do so uh, in the during the COVID pandemic. So DeSantis is a, a right-wing guy. Um, he also, he connects with the establishment, which can work cut both ways, but he also, uh, he's in touch with uh, the Trump, uh, the people that Donald Trump has brought into the Republican fold, uh, the white working class Americans, they're also very strong uh, with DeSantis. DeSantis also appeals uh, to the growing cohort uh, of Latino voters who are flocking to the Republican Party. Um, now, on the, on the downside from his point of view, I mean, he's notoriously uh, a charisma-free zone. Um, in my view, that, however, could ultimately be a strength uh, given some of the frustrations of ordinary Americans with uh, Donald Trump's approach and the, the aura around him. The other thing I would say in DeSantis's favor, and this is an indictment in my view of both Democrats and Republicans, is that DeSantis is of the next generation. He's 44 years old. He's a fresh face. Uh, I think that that would also work to his advantage. So in saying that, can we predict anything about what 2023 will hold for U.S. politics? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, it's it, when when it comes to Trump and when it comes to recent events in the United States, uh, I've made too many I've made too many predictions and I've been wrong too many times uh, to go down that road. Uh, I do think that uh, I think in the coming months, I think what's going to be very very interesting to see is uh, what type of criminal uh, proceedings uh, Donald Trump might be. Uh, I suppose, uh, subjected to. Uh, now, we know that the, the January 6th committee has, uh, you know, 
basically strongly suggested that the Department of Justice go after Donald Trump on a number of different counts. The Department of Justice is also pursuing its own investigations uh, into Donald Trump. Uh, I think it's going to be fascinating to see uh, how that all unfolds and the impact that that might have uh, on the trajectory of the race. And on the other side of the aisle, uh, I think everybody is kind of holding in place uh, till, until we see what it is that Joe Biden uh, is going to do. Uh, and, I, you know, again, I think everyone is in pause form in the Democratic side. They don't know what uh, is going to happen on that side. Uh, and if Joe Biden does decide to run, uh, it's going to be very interesting to see uh, how that campaign works. Uh, my suspicion is if Biden runs, you will see a campaign with as many surrogates uh, for the sitting president as uh, you've ever seen uh, in a political campaign. But those are the two things to watch for, the criminal investigation to Trump and what, Bi- what, what Biden decides to do. Never, ever a dull day. And just for our listeners, there is a couple of things we mentioned that we have episodes on in our back catalogue. If you want to have a look, if there's something that you want to delve deeper into, like Roe versus Wade, uh, global inflation and the midterms. So you can go back into our back catalogue while you're enjoying your Christmas and New Year's Day. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. And we will talk to you in 2023 for all of that good stuff. Thanks, me, Internet. Thank you for listening to The Explainer and as ever, a big thank you to Larry for joining us. This episode of The Explainer was brought to you by producers Nikki Ryan and Aoife Barry. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting us so we can continue to make more just like this one. There's a couple of things you can do. Head to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute to become a monthly subscriber or make a one-off donation. You can also leave us a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's a great way to make sure other people will discover it, listen and love it as well. Thank you and catch you next time.